Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first-time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add, if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery are purveyors of beautiful non-alcoholic beverages. Live on your own terms, be true to you, and drink what's good for your body and soul. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr, and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi, and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined with the beautiful Kate Fleming from Tassie. How are you, Kate? I'm very well. Thank you, Danny. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. Kate is in our graduates group, the How I Quit Alcohol grads group. You did the, which challenge was it? May challenge this year, 2022. As of today, you are how many days sober? Well, I'm nine months to the date today. That is incredible. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It's such a huge achievement and such a great place to get to once you really start to get that separation. Absolutely amazing. And the challenge group, I can't speak highly enough of how amazing it's been. And this podcast as well. I actually cannot believe that I'm on this podcast. It's made such a difference to, to, well, to my life, but to this sobriety journey for sure. So, yeah, hopefully somebody listening will listen to my story the way that I've listened to many others and there may be something that they can relate to or that resonates with them. I, I made the decision to moderate my drinking and to cut right back to get support and and to me I wanted that to look like a lot of non-drinking and then small amounts of drinking if I did and I wanted support around that so straight up I signed up to the reframe app and um and then I was looking for for podcasts and it was actually I remembered a couple of years ago, listening to one of Ash's interviews with Ziggy Alberts, actually, when I was still drinking, I just remember that Ziggy was having a chat about how he was a non-drinker or hadn't really drank over the last four years. So I was actually looking back for that episode and then how quit alcohol came up. So very serendipitous. But, and, and so that that began my journey and 
a couple of the podcasts that I had listened to, they just weren't really resonating. And when I found your podcast, I completely binged the crap out of it. So <laughs> it's all I did all day, every day, listen to the podcast whenever I could. But, um, and I think it was really only within, you know, three, four, five days of making that decision to, to moderate and cut down. I think it was Kate Morrison's episode with you. And so much of that made sense to me. And from that moment, I thought, no, I'm actually quitting. I'm, I'm not going to resume drinking. This is going to, to be me. Best decision I ever made. Yeah. It's so amazing, isn't it? It's what I love is that just through talking to different people and especially if we're talking about the podcast and what it means to them or how it's helped them in their journey. And they'll usually tell me that such and such as episode just hit home with me. And it's always different, you know, always different. And even some episodes are put out there. I've thought, you know, this is (laughs) how this one's going to land. Sure enough, I'll always get messages from people going, that was amazing. I got so much out of that. And that's what's so beautiful, sharing different people's stories. Someone out there will resonate with that story. Not every story is going to resonate. And then one will just hit home and be like, yes. And that's what I'm sure will happen today. Someone will hear this story of yours and feel like, wow, that's that makes sense to me. I can relate to that. And that's the beautiful thing about coming on, in a way, I guess it's paying it forward too. That's what I was thinking. It's been an absolute gift for me um, and to me. So if I can give this gift to somebody or just even if it just makes them question things a little bit more to start sowing those seeds, it's, yeah, it's a beautiful thought. Amazing. So before we get started, as I would make you do in the challenge, tell me, <laughs> what, what are you feeling right now in your body? What's your body telling you? Well, definitely before we got on the call, there was a lot of nervous energy going on um, Mm. that I could feel in my belly. So I had some belly flips going on and I have settled down into that now. So, um, yeah, definitely excitement and I am feeling quite relaxed. Yeah, isn't it amazing? Those things that show up, those belly flips that show up and the the nervousness, perhaps before, I mean, you wouldn't have started drinking on a a quit alcohol podcast, but perhaps (laughs) if that was in the social situation, You might go straight for the champagne or the wine. I know I certainly would have because I wouldn't wouldn't have been present with what was showing up for me. And this is a beautiful part of this process. So the invitation is to anyone listening right now to take a moment to tune in and just see how you're feeling inside. And if your body's trying to tell you anything, do you need to take a few deep breaths? Do you need to slow down? Do you need to just be with yourself for a moment and just get centered? Because The more that we can tune in and keep that conversation going with ourselves, the better off we're going to be in the long run, not just with our sobriety, but just it has a massive impact on on our general health when we can start tuning into the body and seeing what's actually showing up for us. So, Kate, tell me, when did you start drinking? How did this whole relationship with alcohol start for you? I guess at the point in my life when I would say, was the the tipping point or the beginning point of when it became problematic would have been more in my mid to late 20s. Um, I I had drank before that, but I I don't see that as problematic. It wasn't over the top. Um, But, yeah, so probably my mid to late 20s, I started a new relationship. So I'd ended a relationship and in that relationship, we'd been together for seven years. So he, he was a big drinker a big weekend binge drinker at worked very hard during the week and worked party very hard of a, a weekend with his mates. I wasn't really included in that a lot of the time, I suppose, or didn't involve myself um, with with him and, and that side of his life, I suppose. So and whenever he and I would do activities together, it was more we used to go to the V8 supercars a lot and we'd go off to music gigs together and, and for whatever reason we just didn't, it wasn't, um, a thing that we really did drinking wasn't a part of that so it was more when he and I separated and I started dating somebody else that then became my husband from the get-go our relationship was based a lot around having a drink and I found it was a very sophisticated relationship I thought and, and it was just sophisticated going out somewhere and you know sharing a glass of wine and he'd have a beer and um, that's just how it started. Very ritualistic for us. We'd get home from work, we'd we'd have a drink, 
I loved cooking, so I'd cook with wine. We went out a lot. We were foodies, so everything was just centred around having having that drink, uh, and it just went from there very, very quickly. I became a daily drinker with no real concept of how much I was drinking and that it was actually a problem. I was very unaware of what was really going on with my drinking. It's so interesting. I guess to a degree we had this as well as we got older, but when we become sophisticated, in inverted commas, and we're drinking the fine wine and we're going out to the fancy restaurants and we're degustating with white tablecloths or we're cooking something beautiful at home and we we kind of, I guess we feel like it's part of, yeah, we're being sophisticated. We look at us. We're so grown up now. And, you know, it's not an eight bottle bottle of eight dollar bottle of gossips that we're drinking. We're drinking something really nice. And but really it's the same shit anyway. It's a trap, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I think in my mind, because I was doing it in a settled relationship and we were either doing it, we were out for dinner or you know, we're at home on our, even if we're on our couch with a cheese platter or whatever else. And it wasn't drinking where it didn't result in me behaving out of character or acting out or, you know, any of those cringy shame type stories that that wasn't happening. And so for me, it wasn't a problem. I just didn't have a concept that it was actually becoming very habitual and in quite a negative way and even obviously when you stop drinking there are certain things that you know will happen you know hangovers for instance and and you're not going to act out and whatever else but some of the things that that I've actually become aware of since not drinking I would never have been aware of those things even happening until I stopped drinking so just the time wasting it's so much time wasting that goes on. My husband and I, we separated in November 2017 and then my drinking changed, I suppose, um, escalated to a degree. And so I wasn't, you know, in that settled drinking where it was with somebody else. A lot of the time I was drinking with friends, but then there were times when I was drinking by myself. And that is when, so there was a, you know, three, three and a half year period between my husband and I separating and my beautiful partner, Dean, and I meeting. And that period of time for me was ridiculously unsettled. So my drinking definitely escalated for the first time. I was in my mid thirties when I ever, for the first time was blackout drunk. And that happened several times. So and, and that short little period of time is when I have my cringy stories and acting out of character for me and not always in alignment. Uh, I've definitely figured that one of my core values is definitely being settled. And so if I'm feeling settled, I probably act a lot more in alignment with myself. So I was feeling very unsettled. It was actually strangely enough the first time that I'd ever lived by myself because I'd moved from out of home with mum I think I was about 18 when that happened moved in with my partner he and I were together for seven years he and I separated and still lived in the same house for financial reasons it was all very amicable so we still lived in the same house and then very quickly I met my next partner who then became my husband and because of our living situations he and I moved out extremely quickly with each other and so he and I separate when I'm in my mid-30s I've never lived by myself so for the first time ever I was living by myself for the first time you know since I was 18 I was single so things just I think I was just making up for all of that so it was just this window of time when it became particularly problematic for me but again even when it didn't seem problematic, the time-wasting thing, I just realised how much of a hold it had on me before I ever, ever realised that it did. Okay, so we've you've had the breakdown of the relationship with your husband and then you've gone into a few years of the drinking's accelerated and there's now starting to be some blackout drinking. Then what happens after that with the drinking and the relationship and then meeting Dean? How did that change things? So I... I became very much more aware that drinking 
wasn't at a good place for me. I wasn't having a healthy relationship with alcohol. It's funny, I've been doing some decluttering lately and I've been going through a whole heap of journals in that period of time. And time and time again in my journal, I've written down that I want to work towards a, a healthy relationship with alcohol time and time again. But I'm very good at procrastinating. And so that would be put off to, you know, the next week or the next month or a brand new year or whatever it might be. So, so yes, everything escalated. Um, and then Dean and I met. And so my drinking became settled once again. So I wasn't out and about and, and no blackout drinking or anything like that. It was all very settled once again. But what I realized I was doing is obviously I was very much in, in the habit of still drinking every single day. It wasn't really something that I wanted to bring into that relationship. Dean, he's not a non-drinker, although he is at the moment. He's actually having six to 12 months off drinking completely, which is wonderful. Yay. But he hasn't been a big drinker. Um, and probably if I had a continued drinking, I have no doubt he would have probably escalated his drinking, um, no doubt. I didn't want to be that person in our relationship. I wanted to be completely present. And I realised that it was becoming still problematic when I just noticed I'd try and cut back or I'd wake up in the morning and think, okay, I had a bit too much last night, so I'm not going to drink tonight. And then it would get to that night. Okay, I'm going to call by the bottle shop and I will get a bottle of wine. Tomorrow night I won't have a drink. And it was just that constant exhausting negotiating with myself. Never, ever worked. Did Dean ever question you about the drinking? And was it, I'm assuming it was daily drinking still. It, it was daily drinking. He didn't, he didn't question it. Um, I wasn't getting ridiculously, obviously drunk, if that makes sense. He probably only saw me, you know, drunk a couple of times and the rest of the time, uh, I probably hit it quite well as far as how I was acting and whatever else. So I don't think it seemed that much of an issue. But then, Have you ever asked him? Because sometimes I wonder, because I know at times when in my drinking, when I thought I was smashing it, I thought, you know, I'm having a phone conversation and I'm pronouncing everything well and I'm not slurring, but, you know, who the <laughs> fuck was I fooling? You know, yes, have you ever absolutely. asked him? Yeah, we have had conversations about it. I think we were together for about 11 months before I stopped drinking. So it was only that 11-month period. So I think because it was a new relationship as well and obviously, you know, quite social and, and so. still it, honeymooning. That exactly. Stage. It was probably yeah. more normalised. We didn't live together. So, but, yeah, I mean, obviously he he knew that, that I was a big drinker, but my behaviour was always in check around my drinking as well. So I guess... It, it, I wasn't doing these obvious things where where it was problematic, but no doubt if if I had have continued drinking, you know, I'd like to think that that he would have have said something, and we would have obviously had those conversations for sure. Mm. Um, but at the time, I had enrolled back at university, and so you know, twenty years ago, I did my studies at university, and then went back last year and. I remember leading up to that point, I thought this is going to be really good because this will really kick me into gear and I'll take this seriously and, and so I'll cut my drinking right back. The whole thing won't drink during the week or um, and I'll limit it of the weekend because I'll be studying and busy, being busy and whatever else. Um, but that didn't necessarily happen. I never, ever turned up to, to any kind of university class hungover or anything like that. I just wouldn't be able to cope. But, um, so that wasn't the issue. But I just noticed that there were all they always, it was something to reach for and a reason to cut back my drinking. And it just, nothing worked really. It's like it's always on the agenda or we think that something will help us, whether it's getting pregnant or starting a new job or moving or there's always something. But it's like we talk about in the challenge, unless we start to change that actual core belief that we have there that's kind of keeping us there, we can make all the change we want externally, but it, nothing changes if nothing changes on a deeper level. And so how was it looking for you at this point? You know, so you're not getting the blackout drunk every day type thing but how much were you drinking at this point just to give us a, a clear vision look it would be safe to say that a lot of the time it was a bottle of wine 
a day. Well, some, that's substantial. It is, yeah. Sometimes mm. a bit more. Some days I'd not have a drink at all. Um, other times it would just be a, t- a couple of glasses. But, um, you know, several times a week I definitely would have been having a bottle of wine a day. And then as I got closer to to stopping or at different times over the last 12 months, you know, I, I cut back to the low alcohol volume wine. Um, and I'd, I'd drink that and less of it and, and everything that I did, like it would just keep trickling back up to, you know, full strength wine and, and the bottle of wine. So, yeah, I remember getting towards the, oh God, geez, not even the end of our drinking for years. I remember at our wedding, I drank that I was really low alcohol champagne. I got the most fucking disgusting headache because I drank so much of it that my head was pounding by the end of the night. But also trying out different like low alcohol beers and low alcohol alcohol wines, particularly if I had an event on, because I was so worried about how I would end up behaving that I'd be like, right, I'll do this tonight. And then I'd be like, oh, that's good. I'll do that a few more times. But then it just wouldn't last. And then next thing I'm at the bottle shop getting the full strength stuff. Absolutely. And, and having a blowout. Yeah. it's And it's, it is, it's again, it's that exhaustion, isn't it? Where you're it just is. like sick of the... Ugh. The internal and, struggle. Yeah, and you'd lose track of the, I was trying to think about, so obviously I'd make those conscious decisions to to cut back my alcohol. And then I'm not really sure what dialogue was going on in my own mind that then got me back to, you know, full strength daily drinking and whatever else. I don't know how that happened without me questioning it. I think I was just purposefully trying to avoid those conversations with myself it just happened and I just allowed it to happen that's really interesting avoiding that conversation with yourself Mm. it's sort of the opposite of what we were talking about at the start you know feeling into and listening to what the body's trying to say but when we're actually avoiding that conversation that we know needs to happen it's like (laughs) it's like any conversation it's like any relationship you know when there's bad shit going on in your relationship or your kids are acting badly there has to at some point the conversation has to happen and that includes that one with ourselves you know we can avoid it all we like but eventually that conversation has to happen if it doesn't happen where the hell do we end up if we don't stop and have that conversation with ourselves absolutely and I think that one of the things about alcohol it just not only does it numb us from experiencing life in its fullness and our feelings in all their rawness, but it, it, yeah, it just allows us to to cruise through without a whole lot of thought. Yeah. Gives us excuses all the time. And I was thinking actually back in 2016. So obviously I'd gone on, you know, all these years without really thinking about my drinking or connecting to it in any way, in any negative way. In 2016, I started feeling quite unwell in myself and actually thought that I was you know, potentially going through early menopause. Um, so I went off to my doctor and um, she organised some blood tests for me and my liver enzymes were extremely high. And so she questioned me about my drinking and I've no doubt I completely underquoted the amount that I was drinking, but whatever it was that I told her, she told me that it was far too much. And she did an ultrasound on my liver and it was the early stages of fatty liver. And, you know, I'm in my early 30s. And so she asked if I could either cut right back for a four-week period or preferably abstain completely. So I made that decision to completely abstain. And and because I could see, I I knew what the trajectory would be for my liver if I continued. And so for me, it was a no-brainer. It was an easy decision to make. So I made the appointment to see her four weeks later and had my blood test three weeks after I had seen her and the liver enzymes had come right back down just after three weeks. And then we monitored this for the next couple of months. And I know that, so I abstained completely for about six weeks. And then at that six-week mark, my then husband and I, we were heading down to the east coast of Tassie in this beautiful accommodation with a view of the ocean. And I thought, right, I'm going to pick this really nice bottle of red to enjoy. And, And so I poured I've actually measured out 100 meals, which was a standard drink, and I sipped that over two hours. So every single sip was mindful and 
that's what I did. And then didn't drink another week later. We were actually on the Mornington Peninsula for my cousin's 30th. We were at this beautiful winery. I chose not to have a drink then to continue on the good work. We flew to Adelaide and the family. We had this uh, beautiful four or five nights on the Murray River on a houseboat together and and I had one or two over the course of, of that time but obviously knew how important it was to to get things back on track and it worked and so everything as far as the blood tests everything looked good at that same time I made the decision to become vegan which I was vegan for four years and so I, I actually have I can't even tell you how long I moderated my alcohol for how long that lasted or why all of a sudden it then escalated back into daily drinking possibly I don't know if it's because I was vegan. I thought, oh, well, I'm making this big, great, healthy choice for my body. Um, And I knew how forgiving the liver was. And so obviously I'd got everything back to normal according to to the blood test, the numbers on the blood test. So whether or not that just allowed me to then play with it for a little bit longer and, and just think that's okay, I know how quickly I can get it back down. It's a slippery slope. <laughs> Oh, that sure is. That really is playing Russian roulette, isn't it? So, oh, I know that I know how to play with these numbers. It's a gamble, man. And that's a big risk too. It's a, especially it's a huge risk. Mm-hmm. And the liver being, yes, it might be a forgiving organ, but obviously you can push it to the point of no return. And in addition to that, it's not just the liver, obviously. We have a very huge link of, of breast cancer in, and just all the other physical health issues and that's not even touching on mental health and and just how we limit ourselves and hold ourselves back on an emotional and spiritual level oh god yes absolutely so okay it's interesting that conversation around the moderation and I think moderation can be forced for a certain amount of time god knows I've done it at times and was really quite successful until I wasn't (laughs) (laughs) exactly until you weren't (laughs) fucking hell I was not (laughs) same when I wasn't um you know and and like you can be success you can moderate for a time and look I'm not and again it's not saying it's not possible but it's fucking exhausting and it's you have to be so so mindful and it's interesting how it just can creep back in again and and that's what happened with you even with having those things like the the fatty liver showing up and the (laughs) liver enzymes through the roof so okay so it's crept back in tell us before you decided to stop this time what got you there what got you to deciding okay that's it I'm I'm giving this give this up for a while so the the catalyst for me was I'd, I'd been having a lot of thoughts about the moderating. I've been having conversations about the moderating. But in early January, my beautiful auntie, who meant the absolute world to me, passed away suddenly from a heart attack. And well, that that phone call that I actually got from my uncle to say that she'd had the heart attack and she was in ICU. She was in ICU for six days after that and then passed away on the Sunday. I, I, I just made a promise to the universe, to, to her, to, to the universe, God, whatever, <laughs> that I really needed to to get serious about my health. It, clearly my world had been shattered and it was a world that I just didn't know how to navigate through at the time. I had lost all control and the one thing that I thought that I could control was to not drink. And so I guess it was a coping strategy for my grief and inevitably turned out to be the most beautiful way to cope and the most beautiful gift I could have given myself. So if my auntie was still here today, and obviously I would do anything in the world to have her back, if she was still here, I still think that I would be drinking or going through that ridiculous dialogue around moderating, cutting back, and so forth. So I actually think it this rock bottom world shattering thing in my life to actually I I had to clutch onto something and that's what I clutched onto. 
That's really fascinating, Kate, because so many people, you know, you said that you used it as a way to help with your grief. Well, most people go the opposite way where they're like, I'm grieving, I'm going to drink the shit out of it to cope. So you went the opposite way. So what? how did you cope when, you know, when the grief was present for you without having all those those tools in, under your tool belt to help? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, obviously you you know a little bit about my belief in in these kinds of spiritual things I suppose but I felt her presence with me so just the connection that we had was just so strong in that time I I guess in some ways people always say how amazing it was to actually make the decision to stop drinking in the midst of, of that and the depths of that grief um but I think for me you know I wanted to withdraw I didn't want to be out amongst people I wanted to be in my home I wanted to withdraw um I just wanted to give myself the time that I needed so for me because I know that obviously the early stages of of quitting alcohol there is that that grieving process and and wanting to withdraw and not feeling quite so social and whatever else so I think in some ways it was the perfect time to do it because I was feeling all those feelings anyway I was lost um, there was this huge gap in my life. So sometimes I think both of those things um, just imitated each other in some ways. But for me, the the connection that I had with my auntie, it was so incredible and I needed to honour her in the best possible way and that is to be the healthiest and happiest person I can be. That's so amazing, especially when I'm sure you weren't feeling (laughs) like being the happiest, healthiest version you could be. You know, there's that flip side of it with grief. Yeah, definitely. How beautiful, though, to honour her in that way and also to realise that, yeah, I have to really look after myself. I loved how you said I needed to stay at home and and, and I'm just putting words in your mouth here, but kind of taking it slowly and being being with yourself and and honoring yourself in your grief in that way and I think that's so beautiful and this that what you were saying about the slow you know that's one of my words so for me it's slow it's gentle it's aligned and the slowness and, and that's how I feel that that I am in general like as far as how I've changed since stopping you know drinking it it's definitely I've slowed right down I move through the world differently to the way that I moved through it before that's been really really important for me and I've given myself that opportunity to really listen to myself and just to the just to the universe Mm. which has been really important in the grieving process for my auntie because you know it's in those moments when I can really feel her and her love will just always continue on. I guess part of that healing is to be able to be in tune enough to feel when you do feel their presence and you do feel their love. It's beautiful. And to feel sad when sad shows up and yeah. like, God, every day, Kate, <laughs> I'll be like, you know, m- missing my dad or missing mm-hmm. someone else that's passed perhaps. And I'll just be like, oh, yeah, I'm sad. I'll start to see my gut. Well, there it is. I'm sad and that's okay. It's okay to be sad. Of course that you're sad. Yeah. Look, I've had people through um, the last few challenges that have lost people and there's that initial like, oh, my God, I'm so sad. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't you be? Of course you're sad. And why should you be any other way than sad? Be with sad. Definitely. Yeah, don't want to drink sad away because it's okay to be sad. You know, and it's okay to feel anything that we're feeling. We're meant to feel these feelings. That's why they're there. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, being with what is is so important. I mean, it's it is the key to this yes. to this whole journey. Is I have to get okay with what's showing up for me, and I think there's a window of tolerance with it too. You know, it might be like let yourself be sad if it starts to get too much, perhaps. You know, maybe you can distract yourself for a bit or go do something else, maybe go do a bit of gardening, something else that's nice for you if it's just getting too much. But just sort of you, you'll feel into that too. You'll know when enough's enough and then you pull back and do something else. And, you know, that's the beautiful thing about sobriety. It lets us feel all that. We we become so in tune with ourselves. Yeah. 
And then I guess taking things to the next level when we start to meditate or do yoga and things like that, that do get us even more connected, yes. which is becoming like, just like, it's like we're um, got these amazing little receptors on feeling everything and it's good. You know, it's, it's how it should be. So tell me, what did alcohol do for you? What was right about it? I, I think in hindsight and reflection, I mean, it was an addiction, obviously. So it was just something that, that was so natural and normal. It was just there. Sometimes I didn't give it any thought whatsoever. When I was thinking about it more often, um, it, it, it filled loneliness, I suppose. It, it was a constant companion. Uh, if I was feeling bored, it was there. If I was feeling lonely, and I think boredom is probably a big one. And even I think about when, you know, way back, um, my ex-husband and I, we used to do a lot of travel together. So we'd say, for instance, we'd go to far north Queensland together or Southeast Asia and we'd be at these beautiful places where there was just so much to explore. And even though I loved being there, all I, I, I was almost just trying to distract myself and rush through my mornings so that it would get to lunchtime when obviously you're on holidays. That's completely acceptable to have a drink with your lunch or whatever else and, and begin the day that way. So. I'd be, you know, going for a walk along Seven Mile Beach and just wanting to rush through that process so that it would be 12 o'clock when we could go to the pub and have a drink and and then we'd go for lunch and have a drink and just used to to waste so much time and I'd have this sense of boredom during the day until I could have a glass of wine. So obviously now everything's completely different and I feel so much gratitude Every single morning, there has not been a morning that I have not felt this almost overwhelming sense of gratitude because for a long, long time, I spent my mornings feeling bored and a bit resentful, just wanting to get it to that time when it was okay to pour a glass of wine. What do you think the boredom was all about? Because like you were saying now, you know, that we were talking about it earlier on, you know, that expansion that comes with sobriety and there is really no time to be bored because there's so much learning to do. Now you're sober and not bored, drinking, bored. It, it just occupies so much of your, so much of your time and your space. I think it's just always thinking about when you can maybe do that, when you can have that drink and, things lighten up or um yeah it's a difficult one to to kind of comprehend isn't it it seems a little bit nonsensical but I think Mm. it's just spending all that time just wanting something yeah Ash and I were talking about this last night the narrowing read me something that Huberman had posted last night and then I reposted it but that's true addiction causes like a narrowing I guess then everything becomes about that it becomes about the next drink or, you know, ho-hum, this is boring, I wish I was drinking. So it's that narrowing in life. And then when we take out that addiction, we start to expand again. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I think it is a total narrowing. And and one of the things with my childhood and, and growing up, my father was an alcoholic and drinking was always the most important thing. So he always obviously had to drink and it was away at the pub. And that that was his life. His focus was solely on drinking. And, you know, that was, I guess, as a child, that's really difficult to understand when somebody makes that choice. But at the same time, in my adult life, I can understand that as well. And I can think about times when I have also made the choice, when I, I can do something that wouldn't involve alcohol or I can do the thing that involves alcohol and is is more fun potentially or whatever it might be. It's it is a total narrowing. It's you've got this short, narrow focus. This is what Huberman posted. Addiction is a progressive narrowing of the things that bring you pleasure. Happiness is a progressive expansion of the things that bring you pleasure. The former emerges passively, the latter takes work. So it does take <laughs> so true. Happiness takes work for sure, but yeah. it, it creates expansion and a progressive expansion. Boom. Fuck, he's amazing. More. I'm crunching on that man. So <laughs> bad. Sorry, Ash. But <laughs> apparently in a therapist type weird crush. But um, isn't that true? Yeah, it addiction is. is a progressive narrowing of the things that bring you pleasure. 
It's yep. like nothing else can bring you pleasure Not, except that one thing. It's that. That's exactly right. And that and that is what we tell ourselves and that's what we seek. That's what we look for when we get that everything's okay in the world. It makes life small yep. when it's yep. all about that one thing. And and you think about too, when you're drinking every weekend, when your weekend is just about drinking, how fucking boring is that? Oh, I can't think of anything worse. And just even like the resentment that creeps in. And I mean, I don't have any children, but I just think. I hate to think if I did have children in periods of time what that resentment would have looked like because I know now even if if I had to be the driver or if I had to go to an event of an evening where drinking wasn't involved, I would resent that. Oh, absolutely. Oh, me too. Having to be around people that were drinking, boring. That would yeah. Now it's like. The, everything's flipped on its head. So your auntie's passed away. You've decided to not drink to also support you throughout your grief, which I think is absolutely brilliant. How did that feel at the start? So not only you've got this huge grief to deal with, the loss of that beautiful connection with your beautiful auntie, but then also, like you say, grieving the loss of that relationship with the alcohol and you're just in the fucking thick of it. You know, what was it like day to day to get through that? It was big, yeah, it was absolutely big. It was literally one foot in front of the other. I mean, the way that that I navigated it was 100% allowing me that time just to retreat and just to, to, to be in my own space. It was definitely difficult, but I am so lucky that I had the most loving partner and it was a couple of months after... My auntie had passed away. He and I moved in with each other, which was absolutely beautiful. But so having his support has been huge for me. I knew that it would be the most difficult time. And I just knew that that was, I just had some acceptance around it. I knew that that was the way that it was going to be. I actually went back to a psychologist that I'd been seeing a couple of years beforehand and she was also great in, in we actually did some EMDR, which is a, a trauma-based therapy uh, around the grief and, and losing her. So that was that was really helpful. And then at the three-month mark of not drinking, that that's when I decided to sign up for the challenge. And I was going really strong. I was very solid in my commitment to not drink. The reason that I, tra- I decided to join up to the challenge was because I knew that there would be that connection with community, with sober community. And as, as far as the challenge actually went, it totally exceeded my expectations. I, did, I don't know what I was expecting from the challenge, but I, I, the reason why I did it was to have that connection with other people and I knew that there was that option to, to be in the graduates group moving forward. But the stuff that we did in that challenge group, we just... You, you really dig deeply and, and have all these beautiful tools and even some of the tools that I had already used myself anyway, it's just that constant reiteration and, and the reminder of, of all of that and how important the work is. And now I feel, sometimes I feel like I'm a bit of a fraud with, you know, I'm at the nine-month mark and obviously it hasn't always been easy, but I feel that in some ways it's been too easy. I don't know if I'm still a bit too euphoric about it and I forget some of the really difficult days. But for me, it's just been the most amazing journey. And even in the days that feel hard, I, I do try and approach them. You know, that that is, you know, the whole thing with happiness isn't the destination, it's the journey. I know that it might sound totally cliche, but it's so relevant. So true though. It's every single day. It's those little things that you do and it's, it's the, you know, the, the life changes that you make. It's where you find the joy. And for me, that's been so incredibly important. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder too if at the start, because you were going through something so huge, the fact that you got yourself through that and stayed sober at the start, I wonder if that's also made it easier. It's like you went through the hard shit early on and maybe then the rest has just been kind of okay. Yeah, I think because, you know, in the broad scheme of things, the the grief that I experienced with Aunty Jude passing, that, that is epic and I don't, you know, things can't necessarily 
surpass that or exceed that as far as how that feels in the body and and in my life so I think it was the perfect timing to actually stop drinking because everything in comparison to that it's it gives me a very different perspective I think but and you know that was definitely the catalyst to me not drinking and I think a lot of people when they make whatever the decision is for them to stop drinking a lot of it is in relation to some kind of extrinsic motivation it's it's a family member or it's their children or whatever it might be but for me as the you know the days have flown by actually with my sobriety my motivation to not drink is very intrinsic now it's very much about me which is good I think that's really important that even if even if your why is to do with other people in your life I think it's really important that you grab hold of of why it's important for you and what it's actually bringing to you and every single day every single week every single month new benefits new gains like if things continue to to get better and better and better and as that happens you can see how important this is for you physically mentally emotionally spiritually it's just happens every single day I'm just it never ceases to me amaze me just how amazing this whole thing is Mm, it's such an important thing what you just said it it is great when we're using our kids as the driver or our partner as the driver. I mean, that's all well and good. And sometimes that is great to get you started, but at some point it has to become about you. It needs to become about, I need to do this for me, not for anyone else, but this is my journey and it has to be about me. I think that's where a lot of people go wrong when it is just doing it for somebody else, for the sake of someone else or do this to keep them happy or get them off my back. You know, for sure, my kids were the driver that got me started. But then it very much became about me. It's like, I do not want to feel like that anymore. That felt fucked up, you know, waking up feeling like that, hating myself or that. There's a flow on effect too. If I can get myself feeling good about myself, that's only going to be better for my kids. And sometimes that can take time too to get you to that place too, where you realize, I, oh, right, I'm actually doing this for myself. Yeah, that's yeah. huge. So have you had any days where it's been difficult, particularly around, say, fine dining and things like that? I know that was a big one for Ash and I a few times early on. How did you go with that? Yeah, look, I I think that would have been one of the hardest things initially. It was actually the thought of, yeah, having whatever it was to eat and not matching it with, with whatever glass of wine. That was difficult. But you get used to it, you you practice it and then it gets absolutely fine. So I feel if I think back and look at it from the point of view, so, you know, the the most drinking that I did was at home. And so I'm at home most of the time. So I got really good at that practice of not drinking. So everything felt good not drinking at home. And then the next step was more and more practice of being out, out for dinner, out for lunch and not having a drink. and then you get better at that practice as well. And then it's all the other things that come up. So weddings, I've been to a wedding, I've been to a couple of gigs, been to the footy, all sorts of things without drinking, had an anniversary, had my 40th, travelled, whatever else. So been to airports, been on planes. The more practice you have it, the easier it becomes. But certainly at the beginning, it just took, it's, it's just having that commitment to not do it and then you tick it off your list. Uh, I was just saying to somebody, one of our new graduates today, that I, even when I was going really well with day-to-day things, if I thought about the future, if I thought, oh, my goodness, what does not drinking look like for the rest of my life? And I'd feel quite overwhelmed at that thought. So I'd just bring myself back to today, back to the present, and just think about all the things that I'd already ticked off my list And I was coping with that absolutely fine. I didn't need to have a drink at all these things. So why did I need to worry about what it would look like in 20 years' time not drinking? And obviously, nine-month mark today, and the thought of having a drink in the future is terrible. The thought of that just makes me feel sick. So I can think about the future. I can think about 20s, 30s, 40s down the track. And it doesn't make me feel at all sad that I don't have a glass of wine in my hand in that image. It makes me feel relieved. I've got this vision of myself at 80 and 90, 95. You know, I want to be out climbing mountains and and feeling amazing and 
having great sex and all this. Absolutely. <laughs> Cups of tea all the way. Cups of tea, absolutely. The other thing I would say about you just when you said that you were talking with one of the new grads, one of the beautiful things about you, and it always was the case, even in that challenge group, let alone in the grads group, you've always been such an amazing support for everybody else. And so if anyone put up anything that they were struggling, or even if they just had a great day, you always have beautiful comments to say to them. And I think you've put the wind in the sails of a lot of people that are in the group. And it's just so beautiful to see. And you've always got such beautiful insight and beautiful wisdom. And I think that comes with that beautiful connection that you have with yourself. It's part of the practice as well, isn't it, of being there for other people. It gets you out of your own head and you are amazing at that. Yeah. And again, like talking about that expansion and growing, you and Hannah from our current challenge group have just done or just about to finish up with the 21 Days Dissolving Patterns with Lissy Turner, my beautiful friend. What a beautiful journey. And I think going from even doing my course and then going on to doing that oh, with her, what a beautiful what a extension. Yeah. yeah. How have you found that, that going from that and then going on to doing the 21 Days with Lissy? How's that been? It's just incredible. And I think that, you know, one of the, the things that has popped up for me recently is that quitting alcohol is this huge big thing, obviously, and well, it was this huge big thing. But now it, it just seems like it was just something that had to happen and it's just the stepping stone to everything else. And so even though it was this huge big thing that I've done, I just had to stop drinking to then expand, to open my mind to all these other opportunities and my actual potential. And so it's just come very naturally and, and obviously I'm so incredibly grateful through through you to to then meet Lissy and and to be able to do her program because both of you are just the most inspirational women souls and just what you do for other people is incredible and the way that you deliver it and it's so gently and non-judgmental and it just makes you feel so safe and I think in this whole thing that we're doing whether it's quitting alcohol whether it's dissolving patterns living life, whatever it is, being held and being in a safe space is so important and it just really allows you to flourish. When you're being held, it just allows you to just reach out and to just go for it. So for me, it's just been the most amazing opportunity. Life just gets better and better and better. I know it sure does. And like I was saying to you at the start, like I'm just literally going from one course to the next course to the next <laughs> course because I just, I can't get enough in this brain. Yep. I'm just like, I wish I could just let it all go in through my pores or something because that's the beautiful gift with sobriety. We're staying a student, staying a student in life. And I love what you said too about, and thank you for saying that, just creating a safe container. It's very important not to feel judged and to feel held and supported. And that's why, you know, a, a group dynamic is beautiful too with people in that same, that are going through the same thing. And it's so important to feel safety within that. And not everyone feels that straight away. It can take a little while of kind of, okay, let me suss these people out. You know, what are they like? It's so nice having that connection to people because in sobriety, you truly feel some days that you are going against the grain. It's we're totally surrounded by alcohol. It's in every single level of marketing. It markets sporting matches. It's on television shows. It's on movies. It's mm. even marketing a beautiful luxury accommodation. There's a bottle of champagne and whatever else. So mm. it just surrounds us. And obviously in our own lives, we have people around us that continue to drink. And so having that sober community and, and having our group of people I love the thought of sometimes, you know, not that I, I sort of am out and about that often, but if I'm out and about and there's a lot of booze around me, just that thought that I've got all my sober family mm. on our graduates group that are all there. It's a Friday night and all of us, we might be doing completely different things, but we've all got one thing in common and that's we're not drinking. And that just, that connection is really, really important. And I think it is such a great way to to cope with that challenge of, of living in this world where alcohol is just completely around us. 
Yeah, it's so important to know that you've got people in your corner and people that you can bond with and, mm. you know, and you see that more and more within this community, within the How I Quit Alcohol one with the grads or just on the greater community, on the Instagram. You know, it's all, it's just beautiful to see that connection and the connections that form. Amazing, Kate. So, all right, what would be the biggest takeaway or the biggest bit of advice that you would give to someone about the sober journey? Just do it. Just absolutely do it. I. It's hard to articulate. It is impossible to put into words how life-changing this is. And you make the decision and you obviously do the work and do the work. That That is my advice, to do the work, because I think it would be quite easy just to stop drinking alcohol as your goal and you know, in, in the community, there's the, the whole term around being a, a dry drunk. So you don't drink alcohol, but then you're always still in that mindset of wanting it and and never quite recovering from that. Whereas for me, that's far from my sphere, sphere of thoughts. It's And that's because I'm doing the work and I want to flourish and to live the best possible life. So I think you've got to do the work to get there. But the biggest work for me, it's gratitude It's and it's taking notice. It's looking at absolutely everything, just slowing right down, just taking some breaths, being present and just noticing all the joy around you. You, you don't need that glass of wine or the beer or the whiskey or the vodka or whatever it is. You don't need that to experience joy despite what you've been telling yourself, whatever you've conditioned yourself to believe, it's it's all BS. You don't need it. Yeah, absolutely. And that conditioning is hard. Like how you said earlier, I would have liked to have gone into that more, but your your dad's relationship with alcohol and that he was most likely an alcoholic and that you've grown up seeing that as, as the way to be and that's how life is, that's how it looks for an adult. And so there very much is about breaking that conditioning that we've had and how we've seen adults in our lives behave around us. And hopefully yeah. we're all changing that for our kids and absolutely the young people that we know. Yeah, for sure. Well, you are bloody amazing. If you could go back in time and give yourself a little bit of advice, a little bit of a pep talk, say back in your early twenties, what would you say to that version of Kate? I think I would still like her to, to actually experience what she experienced. Um, mm. I don't know how much I would have listened. I, I would have, I would have told myself about the the blackouts and the time wasting, and to be more mindful of that. But I think for me personally, I've always been a very sensible, responsible person, and I think that was the one way that I potentially rebelled a little bit. And I don't know, it was maybe a bit edgy for a while, but that's very much out of alignment with myself. So it's to be true to myself, to to be unapologetically me and to, to love that sense of responsibility and whatever else, just to be myself, mm, to come yeah. back to myself. Yeah, beautiful, to come back to yourself. Mm. I love that. Um, all right, thank you, Kate. You are bloody beautiful, bloody amazing. How are you feeling in your Likewise. body now? Very relaxed, very happy. This has been very cathartic to do this. It's been beautiful, lovely opportunity. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your story. And I'm I'm loving watching you on this journey. I'm loving watching the expansion, even though I feel like you were already, you know, you already were so open and beautiful at the start. And I can just, I can't even imagine the awesomeness of you that's yet to come. And I'm looking forward to to seeing that. (laughs) Thanks, gorgeous. Have a beautiful day. Same to you. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.